Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I'm your host today, Chase Geyser, filling in for the great Harrison Smith. He'll be back with us next week. Crazy, crazy week this week. Just when I think it can't get any crazier, they go and do something like this and totally redeem themselves. <laughs> so looks like Trump's finally getting indicted. It's, it's strange because I never thought that they would accuse Trump of anything that he didn't do. I never thought that we would get to this point where they just start slinging things at Trump in the hopes that something would finally stick. But they finally actually made a formal accusation against President Trump. And here we are. I don't understand how anyone could possibly possibly believe any accusation against Trump at this point. I tweeted something to this effect recently on my Twitter profile. After all of the lies that they have told about Trump, it just amazes me that anyone believes any of the accusations to get him against him at this point. We saw the accusations against him of quid pro quo, where they tried to accuse him of leveraging the relationship with Zelensky, of all people, in order to investigate his opponent. While, on the other hand, we see all sorts of examples of the left leveraging their relationships in order to make Trump look bad. So, I just, I mean, I can't believe that this this is coming back up. It's like they can't even find anything new either. And so they have to go to really old stuff. Like the whole Stormy Daniels scandal is so passe. It's, it's such an old scandal. And the funniest thing about it to me is basically what's happening here is they're saying that Trump had sex with a porn star and had to pay her not to brag about it. So we're supposed to vote for Joe Biden? And what really sickens me about this whole thing is while we see an indictment against Trump for his alleged crimes, there's still not been an indictment against Hunter Biden for his many crimes or an indictment against Joe Biden for his crimes while he was vice president of the United States, where he leveraged his position as vice president of the United States in order to get money for his son while he shared a bank account with his son. I mean, the laptop evidence is far superior to any hard evidence that they could possibly have against Donald Trump. And honestly, I don't know if Trump had an affair with Stormy Daniels or not. I don't know if any of it's true. I know there's mixed reports. There's mixed claims. I've heard allegations or suggestions that even Stormy Daniels said it didn't happen. I don't know. I don't care if it happened, honestly. I don't care at all if Donald Trump had an affair with Stormy Daniels and paid her $50,000 or whatever the number was to not talk about it. Doesn't bother me one bit. We celebrate John F. Kennedy like he was some sort of hero because he got his head blown off. And he was obviously banging Marilyn Monroe while he was married to, to Jackie Kennedy. What's the big deal? I don't understand. After all of the abuse that the Bidens have done on women, after all the cover-ups that Joe Biden and Jill Biden have done in order to make sure that no one found out that Hunter Biden was abusing his underage relative? And you're saying that it's somehow unethical because Donald Trump slept with someone who is famous for taking money to sleep with people on camera? I just, <laughs> this, is, this is beyond me, but we're going to dive in in the next segment 
on some of the dynamics around this. We're going to read some of the articles about the indictment specifically. We're going to show some examples of the Joe Biden hypocrisy. We're going to take a look at what Ron DeSantis had to say about it yesterday. So stick with us through the next break. This is going to be a good morning. In the second hour, we're going to be taking some calls. I'm not sure if we're going to have a guest or not in the third hour. Hopefully we can get somebody on with some attorney experience to talk a little bit about this indictment as well. But stay tuned and make sure to visit InfoWarsStore.com. Get something for the Easter basket. We've got some great deals on the site at this time, and we'll be back very soon. So different and so new was like Welcome back to the American Journal. Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Boy, oh boy. Friendly coming after him. And honestly, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're actually going to get a conviction. And if they do get a conviction, I don't even know what that means for a candidate, president of the United States. Maybe it's not even a big deal. But they've clearly been trying since 2016 to simply make the man ineligible for the presidency. Frankly, I think it's because they know they can't beat him. And I know that they beat him in 2020. And regardless of whether or not the election was legitimate or not, he is not the president of the United States as we speak. So they found a way to beat him. They may have cheated, but they beat him. Let's just face it. And I think that's one of the interesting criticisms from Jordan Peterson of Donald Trump is Jordan Peterson said something to the effect of Donald Trump insisting on an election, an election fraud as the excuse for losing the election was actually against his brand, right? His brand, Donald Trump's brand is the brand of a winner and winners don't lose to cheaters, right? I think that's a good point. I don't think that the election was legitimate necessarily. I'm not sure how I feel about the Dominion voting machines or the mail-in ballots or the the ballot harvesting. I'm not sure if that's how it was illegitimate or not. I have mixed feelings about it. I haven't seen a convincing argument either way. I've looked into it, and there's a lot of speculation on both sides. There's a lot of excuses on both sides. So I don't know how I feel about that. But I do know that the COVID pandemic was a fraud. Obviously, COVID happened. There was something that was going around that came from the Wuhan lab. But I think that they used the pandemic as an excuse, as a way to leverage the powers, the dormant powers of the government against President Trump. They knew that President Trump could not lose the election if the economy was as strong as it was in 2019. They knew that everybody was doing well. Everyone was making more. My business was doing 25% better in 2019 than it is now. They knew that taxes were low. Everybody felt good. Optimism was high. The stock market was at record highs, and they knew that they couldn't beat them unless there was some sort of big catastrophe. And it couldn't be like a war or anything like that because typically wartime presidents are reelected, right? After the election of George Bush, when 9-11 happened, his approval ratings went through the roof and he easily won his second term. So if there was some sort of an international conflict that brought America together, it wasn't going to be the ticket that they needed, that the leftists needed in order to get Donald Trump out of office. There had to be some sort of catastrophe that could not be blamed on any foreign enemy 
that would absolutely wreck the United States economy. What could that be? Maybe a hurricane, maybe a meteorite, but those sorts of things aren't sorts of things that the leftists have the power to conjure on a whim. But a pandemic, now, that is something that they could weasel their way into our reality. And so regardless of whether the leak was intentional or not, it was exploited. And they covered up that it came from the Wuhan lab because they knew that if China could be blamed for releasing this pandemic upon the earth, then no one would hold Trump accountable for the failure of the American economy or the lockdowns that occurred as a result of it. They knew that as long as no one could be blamed but Mother Nature herself, they could use that to weasel in a victory. And so that's what they did. The pandemic leaked. China shut down Wuhan travel within China, but allowed flights in and out of the country, in and out of Wuhan internationally, no problem, for weeks and months. Some reports suggest that the virus was leaked from the lab as early as September of 2019, which means in September, October, November, December, and then January. That's almost five months. That's almost half a year that we have this virus spreading quietly internationally while reports of a very high flu season were coming out because we didn't know what it was for several months. China knew the whole time. They let it spread across the entire world, violating their treaties with the world, that required them to report such a novel virus from existing, from manifesting out of their country. And by allowing it to spread and fostering this pandemic quietly, they were able to cripple the entire global economy, to shut down countless businesses, including restaurants, small business, basically anybody in the middle class suffered. And then there's the wealthy elite who have all of their wealth in the stock market. The billionaires, the multimillionaires. We don't want to hurt them while we try to sabotage the Trump presidency. So what do we do? We print money and we pump it into the banks. And then what do we do is we eliminate the requirement for the banks to have reserves of the deposits. So instead of requiring banks to maintain at least 10% of the money that's deposited in the banks, we say, how about 0%? We need to stimulate the economy because there's a pandemic going on. And so what do the banks do with all the money? They buy treasuries or they invest the money in the stock market. So we have a situation in which virtually no one is working. Businesses are going under, but the stock market is reaching record highs because all of this cash has been flushed into the market. And we have the entire political class, the entire wealthy class, the political industrial complex of America making huge gains off of the stock market rise, despite the fact that the economy is at a virtual standstill. And it's not deemed the fault of any foreign enemy. It's not deemed China's fault because all the big tech companies in cahoots with the FBI and the CIA and all the intelligence community and deep state assets that were influencing all of these platforms, they all agreed to censor the lab leak theory and to call anyone who believed that maybe this came from Wuhan a racist or a conspiracy theorist 
or an Alex Jones loon? Let me tell you something. Alex Jones was right more times than one. And it was China's fault. And it was our fault, too, because we outsourced the illegal research of gain-of-function technology to Wuhan. It became illegal here, so we said, you know what? We'll just fund China to do it over there, and now look what happened. We did the same thing with slavery, actually. Slavery became illegal in the United States, I believe, in 1865. Emancipation Proclamation, of course, after the war, it was enforceable. And do you think that the United States doesn't use slavery today? We know that slavery is actually at an all-time high if you include things like human trafficking. But if you look at any cobalt mine that makes the batteries in our MacBooks or in our Teslas or in our iPhones, that's practically human slavery. People working for a dollar a day or maybe $3 a day max or $3 a week or whatever the, the astronomically low number is. Children working because their hands are small and they can get in. You got children working in factories because their nimble little fingers can work with the small devices that we then ship to leftists in North America so they can log into Twitter and complain about the patriarchy. Everything that we make illegal in this country that benefits the political industrial complex, we simply outsource to countries with less freedom. I want you to stick with us. We're going to talk more about this after the break. Make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com and get something for the Easter basket. we got Easter coming up this year. Don't forget what that means for our country, for our culture. Get the Alex Jones was right shirt. They've got a new shirt out to the um, Alex Jones for president shirt, which I really like. But this is just an old standard. I think it's a classic. Make sure you check it out on InfoWarsStore.com. I ordered a bunch for friends. And I like to order them with the backpack that they have on the store as well. That backpack is actually great because you buy the backpack and throw all the other stuff that you buy in it and give it as a gift. I did that for a very close friend of mine recently, and he absolutely loved it. Stick with us. After this break, we're going to be diving more into the corruption against President Trump. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks where we are snapping necks and cashing checks at InfoWarsStore.com. Get your Alex Jones Was Right shirt if you want to look as beautiful as me. I want to read through the CNN coverage of the Trump indictments right here at the beginning of this segment. we got a great video we're going to show you at the end of the segment. And next hour, we will be taking calls. We did line up a guest for the third hour as well, the great Matthew Colkin, to discuss the indictment and what's really going on in our country. Donald Trump indicted by Manhattan Grand Jury on more than 30 counts related to business fraud. This was just yesterday on CNN. Donald Trump faces more than 30 counts related to business fraud in an indictment from a Manhattan Grand Jury, according to two sources familiar with the case. The first time in American history that a current or former president has faced criminal charges. Now, what I think is so ironic about this and disappointing about this is when I spoke with Jack Maxey about the Hunter Biden laptop, he said within the first 20 minutes of looking through a laptop, he saw dozens of federal crimes. And this laptop, of course, has been in the possession of the FBI for years. 
This laptop, of course, was in the possession of Republicans and Democrats for years. This laptop, of course, was in possession of major media outlets for years with all of the evidence written out with explicit claims of Hunter Biden's crimes and not just Hunter Biden's crimes. Everyone's always like, Hunter Biden's not running for president. Why are you so worried about Hunter Biden? He's not running for president. These crimes are not just Hunter Biden's crimes. There's explicit evidence of the crimes of the vice president at the time, of course, which was Joe Biden. No indictments, no indictments, but maybe Donald Trump maybe slept with a porn star maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and maybe he paid her off, and maybe he did it with his own money, or maybe he did it with campaign funds. You honestly think he, didn't, he couldn't come up with 50 grand to pay her off himself? It's like, ah, oh, this is just <laughs> asinine. Trump is expected to appear in court on Tuesday. The indictment has been filed under seal and will be announced in the coming days. The charges are not publicly known at this time. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office has been investigating the former president in connection with his alleged role in a hush money payment scheme and cover-up involving adult film star Stormy Daniels that dates to the 2016 presidential election. Frankly, the most disappointing thing to me about this is that Stormy Daniels is not like even in the top 50 hottest porn stars. I mean, come on, bro. Could have done better. Grand jury proceedings are secret, but a source familiar with the case told CNN that a witness gave about 30 minutes of testimony before it voted to indict Trump. So somebody went up there and just made a testimony for 30 minutes, and the jury's like, okay, we'll indict him. The decision is sure to send shockwaves across the country, pushing the American political system, which has never seen one of its ex-leaders. I like how they say ex-leaders instead of former leaders. It's like you never call a Marine an ex-Marine. You always call them a former Marine, right? Because once a Marine, always a Marine. <laughs> Ex-leaders, like, like we broke up with them. Confronted with criminal charges, let alone while running again for president into uncharted waters. Trump released a statement in response to the indictment claiming it was political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. All right, this is trash, so I'm just going to throw that away because I can't handle it listening to CNN anymore. We'll cover the Trump statement shortly. But before we do that, I just want to get in to what this really means for our country. I have a close friend in our neighborhood, great guy, and he's from Rome, born and raised in Rome, immigrated to the United States as an adult. And he was telling me a little bit about the political system in Italy, and a lot of the Italians are very excited about the current dynamic. I believe they just elected a populist leader, so there's sort of a populist resurgence happening in their country at this time. But there was a leader years ago, according to my friend, much like Donald Trump. This is someone that had a populist message, someone that was a very wealthy media mogul. Went into office, started making all sorts of changes, then of course was charged with all sorts of crimes, and now is ineligible to run for office in Italy. And so what we see from the leftists, and it's not just the leftists, this is what we see throughout history of all the politically corrupt leaders in power. If they can't beat you, they don't join you, they kill you. Whether it's a character assassination, whether it's rendering it illegal for you to run for office, or whether it's just plain killing you. 
if you actually look into the conspiracy to kill Caesar, it's very interesting. And Trump was actually quite a bit like Caesar. And I don't mean to liken him to Caesar because Caesar was a dictator. He wasn't like Caesar in that way, because I don't believe by any means that Trump is a dictator. And frankly, I think that every leftist leader that we've had has been much more like a dictator than the right-wing ones that we've had. Of course, they all expand their own power with record numbers of executive orders. But with the conspiracy to kill Julius Caesar, we had a few senators just quietly whispering. And the fascinating part of it is after they stabbed him some 47 times, I can't remember the exact number, it's some astronomical number, after they all, the mob of senators, stabbed him, they ran through the streets shouting and announcing to the people of Rome that they had been liberated from this dictator. They thought that the Roman people would be so relieved, would be celebrating the death of Julius Caesar. They thought that they had saved Rome, but this political class in ancient Rome was so out of touch with its own people. They didn't realize that they had actually infuriated the people for the people loved Julius Caesar. Yes, Julius Caesar was dictator. Yes, he was dictator for life, but he hadn't done anything to fail the people yet, so the people celebrated him as this champion against a corrupt political class. And when they had his funeral, the people of Rome threw their furniture and all of their belongings onto the funeral pyre, and they nearly burned the entire forum down. Look it up, it's, it's on Wikipedia of all places. No reason for anybody to lie about what happened in Rome. But the people were so angry with the assassination of their beloved leader that they almost burned down the entire forum by throwing whatever they had, as poor as they were, wooden chairs, wooden tables, their own clothes, into this pyre. So the fire spread and spread and spread and spread. And the Senate was, was baffled. Oh, my God, you know, what have we done? This is exactly what's happening with Trump. Our politicians are too cowardly. They're not bold enough to kill Donald Trump outright. And even if they were, they probably couldn't pull it off, but they know that it would be a nightmare if they did. And so what do they do instead? They render him as if he were dead. That's what they're doing. They're trying to render him dead, just like they did in Italy with this leader my friend was telling me about from years ago, by rendering it impossible for him to run for office again. And this is what they're doing with Donald Trump. They don't give a damn what the people think, what the people need, what the people want. They see a threat to their attempted conglomeration of power, their attempted globalization of all that was America, the watering down of our representation. Donald Trump is a threat to everything they intend to do to gain and maintain their power at the expense of the American people. And so they're doing everything they can to make it impossible for him to even run for election again. And that's why we have to fight and fight and fight and throw our clothes, throw our furniture into the fire that they have set and burn it down. This, of course, is a metaphor. Don't actually start any fire. Stick with us, folks. More after this break. We're here on the evening of Thursday, March 30th, 
2023. And this is a historic milestone for the American Republic, just a little over 240 years old. Whether it's a liberal analyst or a Republican analyst, every historian agrees no U.S. president, former or current, has ever been indicted by a state grand jury, not even by the feds, because you become a banana republic right away. Throughout history for thousands of years, and constant examples around the world in the 20th century and in the first 23 years of the 21st century, we see third world countries in Latin America, Africa, Asia, Eastern Europe, indicting presidents and prime ministers to remove them from office and frustrate and block the will of the voters. They hate Donald Trump. And this Soros-funded DA ran on indicting Trump for something. Now, remember, even the weaponized Justice Department passed on the Stormy Daniels and on the McDougal so-called hush money. The statute of limitations is only five years. This happened seven years ago. This is totally illegal, but it shows you how incredibly desperate they are right now and that nothing's off the table. Just like Biden said eight months ago, can't send Abrams tanks to Ukraine. That's World War III in the threat escalation. Now he does it. All of the common sense, all the checks and balances that were there that the elites live by because they were protecting themselves, not us, are being thrown out the window. This is the recklessness that always is a hallmark, a harbinger of real collapse and destruction. The banks are falling apart. The borders are gone. Human smuggling is going on everywhere. Just absolute evil is unfolding around us. We've forgotten God, and we really are a cursed nation. It's now time to pray, to call for peace. Nobody should be violent over this. I'm really concerned they could stage a false flag or provocateur something. They've really primed the media that Republicans are going to be violent. That's the last thing we need. We're not Antifa. We're not the left. Now, I want to play an exclusive statement we just got minutes ago from Roger Stone. He's been through what Trump's been through. We're going to play that statement that Owen Schroyer read President Trump's statements just minutes ago before his live show ended at 6 p.m. Central. We'll obviously be on my Friday show, myself, Owen Schroyer, uh, Roger Stone, and many others covering all this tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Time, 8 a.m. Harrison Smith. Uh, Trump has pledged to fight on. He says this will end up backfiring on Biden. Absolutely true, but Biden himself is just a puppet. They're going for broke. This means they will literally do anything. Think of the Hunter Biden laptop. Think of the Chinese espionage. Think of all the Russian money to the Bidens. Think of all the open corruption. Think of Burisma. Think of the energy scams. Think of 10% of the big guy, and the whole country and the whole world is seeing this. And polls showed Trump was neck and neck with DeSantis till they started this indictment talk two weeks ago. He's 25 points ahead. So again, why would they recklessly do this? Because of they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. So this is the season of them staging terror attacks and blaming it on Trump supporters. So let's get out ahead of this and say, we're not for violence, and they have the motive to do it. So here's Roger Stone's exclusive statement. Then I was short reading a statement from President Trump. But regardless, I was on the fence about supporting Trump. The last few weeks, I said, OK, I'm for Trump over DeSantis, because Trump's been anti-World War III. But now, we've got to get behind Trump, because they're coming after all of our rights to pick a president or pick other leaders. And if this beta test by this Soros DA, he controls most DAs in the country, works, they're going to do this to everybody. They're trying to indict me. They're trying to indict Rand Paul. They're trying to indict everybody, ladies and gentlemen. And if they can't get the feds to do it, Soros controls over 2,000 DAs 
and district attorneys and 22 attorney generals of the state. So this is total weaponized law enforcement against the people where they let mass shooters out a couple days after they kill people, where they let pedophiles out, but say that somebody who might have given money to a high-end prostitute, that that person needs to go to prison, even if it's true, and there's no evidence it is. This is so dangerous. Here's Roger Stone's statement, then President Trump's statement, and I'll see you tomorrow, 11 a.m. Central, Infowars.com, and Band.video. They're doing this not out of strength, but out of deep state desperation because we're winning culturally, we're winning politically, so now they're hoping to turn the heat up going into the summer for a summer of rage and try to provoke a civil war similar to what's happening in Israel, the Netherlands, and France right now. We don't want violence. We want a cultural revolution of ideas. Now, here are the statements. As I said on the Alex Jones show today, Donald Trump is the victim of a vicious political prosecution that has no basis in law or fact. I am one of the few people in the country who can understand how the president must feel at this exact moment. President Trump has made it very clear that he would plead not guilty to any charges filed in New York or Georgia, as well as any federal charges that may be filed against us. We don't know today the extent of the actual indictment itself, so I will reserve comment on that. But now is a time for all Americans to pray for both Donald Trump and our country. Let me just read the full statement for you now from Donald J. Trump. This is political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. From the time I came down the golden escalator at Trump Tower and even before I was sworn in as your president of the United States, the radical left Democrats, the enemy of the hardest working men and women of this country, have been engaged in a witch hunt to destroy the Make America Great Again movement. You remember it just like I do. Russia, 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 the Mueller hoax, Ukraine, 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 impeachment hoax one, impeachment hoax two, and the illegal unconstitutional Mar-a-Lago raid, now this. All right, let me just pause right there because I can't help myself. Before I go on, you know, I just have a hard time sympathizing with Donald Trump on this because you were the president. You said you were going to drain the swamp. You didn't do it. Okay. So, I mean, I I'm going to defend the truth. I don't have to defend Donald Trump. I'm going to defend the truth. And I've suffered for supporting Donald Trump as much as almost anybody, except maybe a Roger Stone. Uh, there's very few others who have suffered as much as I have for the support of Donald Trump. But that does not change the fact that I'm going to be honest about Donald Trump. And you, Donald Trump, said you would drain the swamp, and now you didn't, and so the swamp is coming after you, and you want sympathy from us who are getting crushed by the swamp too? We elected you to get these blood-sucking vampires off of our freaking neck! And you want sympathy because they're on yours? They're on ours! We made you president to get them out of here! So I'm sorry that I'm having a little trouble being sympathetic for the man, Donald Trump, when he said he would drain the swamp and now they're draining him. But I don't have to defend Donald Trump, I have to defend the truth. Trump is obviously innocent, this is obviously political persecution, and the Democrats are obviously the most corrupt political party in American history. Continuing from Donald Trump's statement. 
The Democrats have lied, cheated, and stolen their obsession with trying to get Trump. But now they've done the unthinkable, indicting a completely innocent person in an act of blatant election interference. Never before in our nation's history has this been done. The Democrats have cheated countless times over the decades, including spying on my campaign, weaponizing our justice system to punish a political opponent who just so happens to be a president of the United States and by far the leading Republican candidate for president. This has never happened before. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who, has hand -picked, who was handpicked and funded by George Soros, is a disgrace. Tried to warn you about Soros. Rather than stopping the unprecedented crime wave taking over New York City, he's doing Joe Biden's dirty work, ignoring the murders and burglaries and assaults he should be focused on. This is how Bragg spends his time. You know, it's funny, though. Alvin Bragg promised to arrest Donald Trump. He delivered on his promise. Donald Trump promised to drain the swamp, and, uh, well, here we are. I believe this witch hunt will backfire massively on Joe Biden. The American people realize exactly what the radical left Democrats are doing here. Everyone can see it. So our movement and our party, united and strong, will first defeat Alvin Bragg, and then we will defeat Joe Biden, and we are going to throw every last one of these crooked Democrats out of office so we can make America great again. All right, folks. We are going to be taking calls all next hour. Make sure you call in 877-789-2539. I want to hear from my boys in the Getter chat. I want to hear from all the listeners, whether you're listening or watching, whether you're on Band.Video, whether you're on Getter or any other platform, Rumble. I want to hear from you next hour, 877-789-2539. I want to hear what you think about Ron DeSantis' statement. I want to hear what you think about this indictment of Donald Trump. Whether you, what you think about the the perceived hypocrisy that is Joe Biden accusing Donald Trump of being a criminal when we know that his entire family is a crime family and he is leading the mob family that is known as the Democratic Party. Make sure you call in 877-789-2539 and I'll see you in the next hour. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. We will be taking calls all this hour. Make sure you call in 877-789-2539. I want to hear from you, particularly my boys in the Getter feed. I love to hear your voices and the sound of your smiling faces on this day. Before we take calls, I do want to show you a very interesting clip. Zelensky gave a speech to Austrian parliament, and instead of getting a standing ovation like he got in the U.S. Congress, Austrian politicians walked out in protest. The tides are finally turning against this dancing dictator, according to D.C. Drano on Twitter. Go ahead and fire up that clip. here is a nation that remembers what it was like the last time they supported Nazis and has decided never again. See, it's funny when you think about it because 
it seems that the Russians are the only nation that have actually that has actually consistently fought against Nazis for the last nearly 100 years. Of course, in 2033, it'll be the 100-year mark of the party's power in Germany. And now they've taken hold in Ukraine, backed by our very own tax dollars. We'll be taking calls in this hour. I want to take a very quick one. We've only got two minutes left in this segment. Indy Luke from Indiana, it's good to hear from you again today. Indy Luke, how are you, sir? Awesome. What's up, man? Sweet. Chase Geyser, dude. What's <laughs> up, man? It's good to hear from you. How are you doing today? It's been a long time. You know, how, how's the last 24 hours been for you? I, I know, man. Like, I, I just wanted to call in to say what's up. Uh, represent the TMI chat. Um, Ed actually had a, a proposition, bro, for you. Oh, well, I am already married, so as long as it's something else. Oh, no, no, it ain't, it ain't like that. No, no, we, we protect your pride holes, America. Protect your pride holes. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we wanted to see if you wanted to join our Discord. Yeah, I got the link. I will be joining the Discord. Why don't you tell everybody about it? Uh, so, so our Discord, we have, um, it, we have like 80 Info Warriors in that Discord. It is lit. It is lit. How long have you been doing We're it? Awesome people, man. Um, I've only been a part of it for a freaking month, dude. And you're loving it? <laughs> a month, dude. I I can't say enough about these awesome people, dude. Like, it, it's amazing to just get involved. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is empowering. And in, in time when it in, when when I know that I feel powerless, that's why I started my podcast and started doing this sort of thing is just like, what else can I do? You know? And it's just really nice to know that there are millions of us that feel the same way. And it's like, I'm, I'm just so thankful. I want to be, I feel like Alex sometimes, dude. Yeah. I want to get out there with a megaphone. I want to scream this, you know, from the top of the mountain. Like I've, I've been watching InfoWars for 12 years, man. And, uh, I recently started getting involved. Hey, we're about ready to go to break, but I want to make sure that before we go to the next break, you can share the name of the Discord so people can look it up. Okay. It's, uh, well, follow me on, or follow me at Indy Luke on Gitter and Twitter. Uh, Big Fred 999, B I G F R E D 999 on Rumble. Okay, awesome. We'll stick with us, folks. We're going to be taking more calls in the next segment. 877-789-2539. Back to the American Journal, folks. This hour, we are taking calls and breaking balls. Make sure you call in 877-789-2539. First up, I want to talk to Jay in Arkansas. Jay, it is good to hear from you again, sir. How are you? I'm old. I'm fat and I'm bald. I got big issues. <laughs> hey, man, you need to get some super male vitality. I got it. I got them all. I got all the supplements. I'm doing all right. All right. What's um, up, man? What's on your mind? Yeah, you know, I, this morning I was listening to a competitor there, the Patriot Channel, and I yeah. got on and they kind of rushed me off there because I started talking about the truth. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, there's a lot going on in the world, and what's scary is I, I listened to an interview with Alex had, I think his name was... Uh, 
Grider or something. He he writes chords for uh, the Stark Wars, the Minsk, Minsk Accords and stuff. Mm, okay. And he was talking about how close we are to blowing the world up. You know, he said, what, what can I do? Alex said, well, what can we do? He says, I'd go home and have a drink. He says, it could be like the last one, you know. <laughs> and and uh, But I listened to all of the interviews of all of the all of the people on the uh, Infowars and Band Up video. But, you know, Trump, is this maybe like like a magic trick? Like, look over here while we're doing this over there, giving billions of dollars away to the Ukraine and collapsing the country and and uh, killing everybody and uh, with these inoculations. And, you know, I'm almost at a point where I'm so disgusted with everything. I, I consume a lot of media, and, and I totally bet that little uh, skit that um, Owen Troyer just put on before he yeah. came on there, yeah. you know, how he was mad at Trump. I, I don't even think, you know, he should have drained the swamp. He should have never left the office. What what can the American people do? I mean, mm-hmm. we can we can gather up. We need a general, yeah. like General Flynn. He, he mentioned go, all, go to all the courthouses and all the state houses and surround them on 4th of July. And I think, you know, bring your arms. You don't have to use them. Just let them see, hey, we're, we're a great nation with a lot of people that have uh, grievances. You know, let's go back to the Constitution, the, the law that was written in the Constitution yep. by the founders of the country. We need checks and balances. And really, we need to get these murderers and thieves and just degenerates out of these offices. Well, I've, I mean, got, a, I've got a couple of thoughts on that. The, I got a couple of thoughts on my first thought on that is yes, Trump said he was going to drain the swamp and it didn't happen. However, I think that he assumed that he was going to have eight years to do it. So I'm going to give Trump the benefit of the doubt on that. The second thing is that when you ask the question, what can we do? The answer is always kind of a bummer because it's never something you actually want to do, right? Like anything worth doing is always hard work. And the answer is to, start making calls for candidates that you believe in, right? So if you're voting for Trump, and this is something that I'm planning on doing this cycle, the best thing you can do is volunteer for the Trump campaign. And the reason I recommend that is because I know people who volunteered in the 2016 cycle, and they were going to the call center at their local Republican party every day, and they were making calls, and they were provided with a list of numbers to call, and they were provided with a script of what to say. And the, the, the campaign, the party had different scripts every single day based on whatever the hot issue was. It was constantly changing, right? And as an individual, it's hard to know what messaging to use when, but as either a campaign as heavily funded as these presidential campaigns are, or as a party as heavily funded as the Republican Party is, they do have the things like the focus groups and the data analysts and all of the resources needed to know what the messaging needs to be. So if you really want to make a difference, in my opinion, over the next cycle, volunteer for the Trump campaign directly rather than the Republican Party because the Republican Party can't help with any specific campaign during a primary election unless, of course, it's the Democratic Party and they're trying to throw the party for Hillary against Bernie Sanders or something like that. But if you volunteer and you actually make calls to the list they give you and say what they tell you to say, it's going to work. So 
that's that's the way to do it. You're just gonna have to get past the, any anxiety you have about calling strangers. You're gonna have to get past any anxiety you have about being hung up on or being yelled at by somebody that you call. That's the way to do it. You have to knock and walk or dial and talk. I mean, that's just as simple as that. But thank you so much for your call. I really do appreciate about, appreciate it. I do want to hear next from Pastor Sam in Mexico. Pastor Sam, what do you have to say today? Good to hear from you. Good to hear nice from you. To see a new face in the info war. Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great. I apologize for my international line. Sounds great. Yeah, I have a lot to say. Uh, I've been a friend of the info war for a lot of years, and and uh, probably Alex and I agree ninety five percent of the time. But these stand down calls really matter to me too for disagreeing. When when he comes out and says stand down, everybody be cool. Yeah. And I understand that in the U.S. of A. 500 agents would kick in the door of InfoWars and burn it down like Waco if he issued a real call to arms. It's not something that he has the opportunity to do. But myself, this is why I live in Mexico, so that I can continue to broadcast. Listen, everything you're saying, I already did it. I caucused in Iowa. I caucused for Trump. I volunteered for the Trump campaign and for the Republican Party. Thanks. And then the, that election was just stolen right out from under us. So what I want to say today is, listen, it's all fun and games on the chessboard until your king is in check. And then it is game over. It's game over. You have to get out of check. That's the rules of the game. Your only other option is to pick your king and surrender. And that's what any apathy right now will be doing, is surrendering to the wicked. Just letting the pedophiles rule. So I think people should really consider that it's for all the marbles right now. It's for all the marbles this time. Mm -hmm. Chase, I have a worldwide radio show called Living by the Sword. And uh, you can find that on gospelgunslingers.com, where I have a lot more of my Great name for a website, by the way, gospelgunslingers.com. You got it. I love it, man. The program is Living by the Sword. That's my worldwide radio show. I've, I've gotten some things accomplished for more than six months in to broadcasting through all the Americas. Even the penguins are listening to us down on the Antarctic Peninsula. And so we're trying to keep free speech alive. I appreciate everything that Alex has done through the years and all of you who I know it's not just a job to come in and work for InfoWars. But right now, it's time for everyone to think that it's game over. Yeah. This you know, you're, you're pastor, over. right? I am. So, so let me ask you this. You know, Jesus famously said, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And I'm curious. Well, there's a reason why we chose that for our name. Tell me about and it. Because I am daily teaching on our patriarchs, Bible doctrines, the people that founded the United States, and then led all the other nations of the Americas into throwing off their overlords from Europe and from the papacy. They believe things from the Bible, which are very out of vogue today, Chase. And I teach on it every day, on self-defense and on self-government. And we're probably on the edge of 500 daily lessons, each one with a central verse. And mm. so I intentionally throw that out in the name of the show to cause controversy and to cause people to consider that maybe they have been sold a heretical lie in this homoerotic pacifist Christianity, and that that's what's unbiblical. Homoerotic what? pacifist Christianity. That is a bold statement, man. <laughs> it's so heretical. It's unbiblical. That's not what Jesus taught. And listen, just to answer your question directly, because I know that was circuitous, 
Sure. People need to not take up the cross if they're not ready to be nailed to it. Ah. People need to not start calling themselves a Christian, start adjoining themselves to Christian America if they're not ready to seal their testimony with their blood. Yeah. And so this cryptic statement that Jesus made, those who draw the sword will die by it. Well, he said that less than 24 hours before he died by the sword. So you don't have to live by the sword to die by it. Thank you so much for your call, Pastor Sam. I really do appreciate it. I hope everybody checks out gospelgunslingers.com. And I want to get more calls. I want to see these lines blowing up in the next segment. 877-789-2539. Call in. Let us know what you think. we got a lot of people on the list. But if you get in the list now, I'll probably be able to get to you before the end of the hour. Please call in, share what your thoughts are on this election, on these indictments, on Ukraine, whatever it is that's on your mind, I am ready to talk about it with my fellow info warriors. Welcome back to the American Journal. Well, Jesus Christ, superstar. Is that what I'm listening to right here? It sounds great. Gets me fired up. All right, let's hear from Justin in Seattle. Justin, what's up? Justin, can you hear me, sir? What's up? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm one of those crazies out there that thinks that uh, Donald Trump is controlled opposition and that mm-hmm. um, the uh, the establishment, you know, both right and left, is all controlled by the central banks. And, you know, they're, they can see that this pendulum is swinging back to the right. So they're very eager to um, convince the public to um, now swing back towards, a, you know, a right-sided candidate that they control, which I believe is Trump, you know. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, okay, let me, let me stop you there real quick. Let me just stop you there because I want to hear the rest of your thoughts. But I, I totally agree with you that the right and the left are controlled opposition as establishment parties. But what leverage do you think that they have over Trump? Uh, well, when all of Trump's casinos went bankrupt back in the 80s, yeah. the only bank that touched him was Rothschild's bank. It was shortly after that that Rothschild personally introduced Trump to Epstein. Mm. Um, you know, the, the Epstein victim said that, you know, Trump wasn't just there. He was part of the, uh, the organization, him and Dershowitz. My understanding, so though, is that Trump disavowed Epstein sort of before anyone else did. And wasn't there even a prosecutor that said Trump was the only one that was willing to make statements and meet with him? See, that's the narrative. But the problem is that, you know, Trump continued to uh, work with these Rothschild associates, um, even once president. You know, he, he had them within his cabinet. Mm. So, you know, it's, I believe it's all an act. It's like a WWE act that, that he's performing in order to uh, convince the right. That's why he sold out his all the supporters on his way out the door, you know, at the January 6th supporters, and only now he's, he's willing to do something for him because he sees the political wind is pushing that direction. You know, I, I cannot forgive the guy for what he did with the vaccines, for one. You know, he has yet to apologize for it, and I believe that was all part of, you know, the, this communist plot to basically poison America makes a nice, nice ripe target for a Russia-Chinese invasion. Um, yeah. You know, it, it all goes back to the banks. You, you know, you follow the money. I, I have a, a site on Telegram where I cover all this information. Is it okay if I plug it? Yeah, it's plug it. Church. Um, I, I'm, I'm the admin for the uh, Marcionite Christian Church, 144 AD, where I explain the uh, the biggest conspiracy in human history uh, surrounding the Bible and how every single copy of the first Christian Bible was sought out and destroyed. It was censored. Mm. Because in, in the early in the the first Council? Christian in the first Christian Bible, yes, in the first Christian Bible, this was written 100 years after Christ's death, the first New Testament Bible, they excluded the Old Testament intentionally because in that Bible, the, you know, the Christians that were closest to Christ, they knew and preached the truth. And that truth was that the God of Jesus was never the God of the Jews. 
And so what they did is they deleted every copy of the first Christian Bible. And then when they introduced the second, they merged the two books together in order to deceive Christians into worshiping the very God and the very people Jesus was sent to lead the, the Jews away from. You know, Yahweh, he is the devil. <laughs> and so they merged the two books. And now we have the problems that we have today where we have, you know, the banks still running the world. You know, during when they created that second Bible, all the money of Rome was being held in temples to Saturn. That symbol on the Israeli flag is a Saturn symbol. It has nothing to do with David. It's not the Star of David. It's the Seal of Solomon. It's one of the oldest satanic symbols come straight out of Babylon. And the, the same people that have controlled the financial system have always controlled it because their religion, Kabbalah, is based off of sacred numerology. So therefore, they've always been good with numbers, and they've always gravitated towards finance. Well, Rome was no different. They had, you know, all the money of Rome was being held in these temples to Saturn. <clears throat> and so the Saturn worshippers, the Kabbalists, were in control of Rome's finance and were influencing Constantine to do what he did, which was created basically a one-world religion. So now we have all the world worshiping the devil, not realizing, you know, re- worshiping the devil as the God of Jesus, and not realizing it. And that's the basis for all the problems that we're experiencing today, is that we're still serving and worshiping the very system, the very belief system, that basically is, it preaches, you know, world government. It's, you know, the, the basis for the New World Order is, is, in, the, is in, in the Torah, and it's in the Talmud. You know, uh, uh, the God says that, to, to, um, that, you know, he promises all the world's possessions, in fact, the entire world, to the genetic line of Jacob, which is the, the Hebrew Israelite. And mm-hmm. so they believe that they are entitled to the entire world and all of its possessions, and that all the world's races were created by God to serve them, that they are lesser races. So, I mean, he, in essence, he is the God of racial supremacy. You know, everything they said bad about the Nazis, they themselves are guilty of. Interesting. Thank you so much and, for your call, Justin. I appreciate it. Next up. I want to hear from Jefferson in Virginia. Jefferson, what is on your mind? Hey, good morning, Chase. Good morning, man. How are you doing? I'm just fine. Uh, I'm enjoying the show. Thank you so Uh, much. I made my point yesterday about free speech, and then Marvin came on right after me and fell right into the ambush I was talking about. (laughs) Tell me about it. I was trying to say that access to mass media is not free speech. Ah. And, yes. Mar- and Marvin was making the argument that, yes, it is. I have to be able to speak where where it matters. Right, right. And where it matters is the lure of how they, they have brought us into this trap of wanting to talk where everybody else can hear us, where we can influence the most number of people. But eventually they're going to turn that on us mm. and, and use it against us. And, and figuring out how to regulate mass media is the hard issue that – that we haven't figured out how to keep uh, people from telling falsehoods on mass media. Right, right. Well, I think the first step is to just make it illegal for government agencies and government entities to have any sort of a formal integration with these businesses. I think a lot of the censorship that we've seen has actually been these major companies responding to pressure from the federal government for fear that there will be increased regulation or the breaking up of these companies, right? We saw this with the Twitter files, that you know, Twitter was very friendly when it was a publicly traded company to the FBI, and there was an, a heavy integration. We saw Facebook update all of its censorship policies and practices after the Cambridge Analytica scandal because there was a lot of fear that the Democrats were going to apply so much pressure on them after Trump won in 2016. They just responded and sort of obeyed. And so I think if we can really mitigate what the federal government can legally say and do, what our politicians can legally say and do— with respect to specific companies and calling them out, 
I think we'll see a lot of this censorship behavior sort of dissolve because 10 years ago, these platforms were run by just as many left-wingers as they are today, but we didn't see anywhere near this scope of censorship until we saw the fire that was the Trump administration. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I just think uh, <clears throat> we have to figure out a way to understand that if uh, <clears throat> if you're going to tell falsehoods on mass media, there should be a penalty mm-hmm. if you can be proven that you knew you were telling people something that just wasn't true. And yeah. that's what we have to figure out. Well, I believe in the I believe in the right to lie as well as part of free speech, but it is particularly disturbing when our our political leaders lie so incessant incessantly and deliberately without any account. And I think that our founders thought that you know if our leaders lied, they would be held accountable by the voters. But unfortunately, our voters are so brainwashed and or ignorant that they don't seem to call out any of the leaders. I'm the first to say that if Trump did any of the things that Joe Biden has done, I would be the first one to disavow the guy. And so anyway, I I want everybody to stick with us. We're going to be taking more calls in the next segment. Make sure you call in 877-789-2539 to get in the queue. We've got a lot of callers that we're going to try to get to before the end of the hour and before our outstanding guest of Matthew Culkin in the third hour. Make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com. Get something for the Easter basket and stick with us, folks. We're taking all of your calls for the next 30 minutes. Thank you. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. We're taking calls the rest of the hour at 877-789-2539. Right now, I want to hear from a very special caller, Simon in Florida. Simon, I've really enjoyed following you on Twitter the last couple of weeks since I heard you with Harrison last time he was on. Seems like ages ago. <laughs> He'll be back Monday, though, folks. Simon, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you ever so much for becoming one of my largest followers on Twitter at Simon from Florida, too. Um, it really is an absolutely tumultuous time, and um, I'm very impressed that you're um, making the effort to keep aware of some of the other events that are occurring around the world that aren't being covered to any great extent by the American mainstream media. And to that end, there have been some quite extraordinary developments with India, who obviously is the um, largest or second largest nation in the world along with china they've actually um embarked on a deal with iran um that i think is going to be very significant for their long-term um foreign relations there's a um a concept called the insec which is the international north south transit corridor and the goal of that is to transport goods um, for a, a route all the way from St. Petersburg on the Baltic um, Sea, um, via the Caspian Sea, across Iran, and then to the um, port of India. Now, in order to facilitate that, the infrastructure of Iran needs to be greatly improved. And it now appears that the Saudis are going to be ploughing money into that, and also the Indians who have now reinstated a deal that was suspended due to the sanctions from America that were reimposed upon Iran when um, President Trump pulled out of the um, Iranian nuclear deal that called the JCPOA. But basically, the Indians have now said that they're fed up of waiting because 
the Biden administration have been dragging their feet on reinstating that deal. And they're now going to plough ahead with developing the port of Chabadar, which is um, right at the far southeast corner of Iran, so that it can be used to expedite all of those goods from um, Russia to India. And at the same time, they're now in advanced negotiations with the Russian government. And this is quite incredible when you think about whether or not America would be willing to allow any country in the world, even our friendliest of allies, to this project that um, India is going to be going to Russia to finalise the agreement of next month and month of April, so just literally a few days away. What they're proposing to do is build an entire city on the east coast, the Pacific Ocean side of Russia, in order to facilitate the shipment of goods from Russia around China and then to the east coast of India. So they're looking for their trade relations to be so tight-knit with the Russian Federation that they're going to have one route for Iran coming to the west coast of India and another route for the Pacific coming to the east coast of India. So the idea that India, as a member of the Quad, is going to be part of an alliance against Russia and or against China, I think is an incredibly forlorn hope. And it's very important, please, for both your listeners, and I'd be most willing to come on and discuss this in detail with you, should you desire. You obviously can reach out to me since you've got my Twitter details. Um, to, To really appreciate the shift that's occurring, not only in relation to the um, conflict with Russia over Ukraine, but also the enormous changes happening. We're on the verge of a, of a full-blown trade war with China. And General Milley, who many listeners may not really like, but he did warn Congress just a couple of days ago that he sees the alliance between Iran, Russia and China as being a serious problem for the United States um, in the long run, and now our erstwhile um, friend India seems to be not only involved in BRICS, the you know trade organisation, but is enormously um, uh, integrating its trade relations with the Russian Federation. Now, let me ask and you this, Simon, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just curious to know because we only have so much time. What do you? Th- how sure. do you think this plays into? the recent news about Brazil and the trading with China not using the dollar? Well, 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 that's exactly the same thing Mm. is now happening with China and Russia and with India and Russia, and soon it's going to be happening with um, the Saudis because um, just a couple of days ago, there was the first ever large-scale transaction for LNG on the new Shanghai Energy Exchange, where the French bought LNG from Qatar, but the contract was done in China, and the French paid the Qataris in Chinese yuan. Mm-hmm. And just today, the Chinese Global Times is celebrating that deal and saying how that's one of many steps to the de-dollarization of the international economy. So your question is an excellent one, and it is Um, exactly what is happening now between Brazil and China, even though the president of Brazil came down um, with pneumonia and was unable to travel. All of his ministerial 
and 240 businessmen did in fact fly on and they are signing deal after deal after deal further integrating the Brazilian economy with the Chinese economy and you see the result of that at Biden's Summit for Democracy mm. in relation to the paragraph that condemned Russian actions in Ukraine, the Brazilian um, delegation in America refused to sign the entire document because America insisted upon that paragraph remaining. And the Brazilian, not the Brazilian, the Mexican government, who are also applying to join BRICS, they expressed a reservation saying they agreed with the general declaration as a result of the summit, but that they specifically refused to accept paragraph condemning Russia. Right. So well, let me ask you this then. Like In the context of history, when there's a major currency collapse like there was in Germany throughout the 20s, it typically does catalyze the sort of pain and suffering among a people that drains whatever existing swamp there may be in the government. So do you anticipate a collapse of the U.S. dollar and do you anticipate that that will catalyze a total overhaul of our government as it stands? Well, yes, because if, if you look back in history, if you think about the Roman Empire, mm -hmm. that was largely the currency debasement. The silver and gold coins, were, right. were the purity of those was changed. So that devalued their currency. And then if you look at the collapse of the British Empire after World War One, it was because the silver coins went from being 92% silver to being 40% silver, and then after the Second World War, they went to 0% silver, and the British Empire completely collapsed. Right. So if people have a reduced need or desire to hold U.S. dollars, and they therefore become devalued in the eyes of the rest of the world, that is exactly what historically has precipitated the collapse of great empires. And certainly for the 20th century, it's undeniable that the United States was one of the major forces in the world. And right. that era may indeed be coming to an end. And that is exactly what both Russia, in their new document out today for their new um, foreign policy statement, which is very, very long. I'm just working my way to the full document now. We had to discuss it with you on another occasion. But also China is using this phrase, the new era. And that basically is the era without the reliance upon the U.S. dollar. Right, right. It's like in Lord of the Rings, the age of man is over. The era of the orc is here, right? Thank you so much for your call, Simon. We'll be taking more calls in the next segment. Stick with us, 877-789-2539, and visit InfoWarsStore.com. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. We've got a great guest coming up in the third hour. But before that, I want to talk to our distinguished and outstanding info warriors waiting in the queue. I want to hear first from Tim in Seattle. Tim, how are you doing? Are you snapping necks and cashing checks? I'm, I'm doing fantastic, Chase. Uh, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. No, I'm doing great. Uh, oh, you, should get a, you should get like a Saturday show or something, bro. Uh, you do fantastic. I would never replace Harrison with you, but, you know, because we love Harrison. Uh, shout out to the Rumble chat. I don't, I'm watching the Getter chat right now, and it looks like they're melting down. So let's Oh, no. What are they melting the down over? Are they mad at me? 
No, they're not mad at you. I think they're just mad at their fame. And so let's let's go over the Rumble Chat because Rumble Chat is just as sane and just as awesome as anything else. But I, I also wanted to encourage the United States to think about why they arrested Trump when we were talking and we were we were finding unity in our discussion over the Restrict Act. Okay. Everybody was coming to the same table about the Restrict Act, and all of a sudden now we're talking about Trump and we're divided again. Ah, I see your point. So, problem, reaction, solution. I think that they're going to use Trump like that against us as though we can't ever come to some sort of unity. And so... Just FYI, that's what I wanted to talk about. They're using Trump as a distraction so that we do not have – because you haven't said anything about the Restrict Act this morning. Not many people have because yeah. it's, we're talking about Trump. So yeah. you guys have a fantastic weekend. Keep it up, 1776 Worldwide. Can't wait to uh, see Harrison on Monday. Harrison, colloidal silver in the eye. It works, bro. <laughs> Love you guys. Well, it's an honor and pleasure to have your call. Thank you for calling in, Tim. I appreciate it. And, you know, we talked a lot about the Restrict Act yesterday – in the context of uh, Senator Hawley's advocation for banning TikTok, and I believe his bill to ban TikTok is separate from the Restrict Act, although the Restrict Act has been associated with a TikTok ban as well. And, I, you know, I think it's it's true. Anytime there's a, there's a new big story, it distracts from the last big story, and we run in such a sluggish society or civilization that the last big story is never resolved in time for us to address the next big story. So we just end up skipping it and forgetting about it. Hunter Biden's story was famous years ago and it's still unresolved, but nobody seems to really talk about it. And of course this restrict act is a very pressing issue and there's not much talk going on about it today, given the context of this new indictment that's supposed to be released any minute to the public regarding president Trump. So I appreciate that, that feedback. We do have to remember not to forget all of the issues that we are being faced with just because there's a new flash in the pan. Let's hear about uh, all the Trump stuff from Rob in Florida. Rob, how are you, sir? Can you hear me, Rob? Yep, I can hear you now. How are you doing? Okay, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I want to say what's up to my buddies in the getter chat, Ed, Luke, Lisa, Rose, all y'all, hope y'all doing well. The uh, the major problem we're dealing with is just it, it's very simple. It says communism and Nazism uniting, yeah. and uh, you know we really just we need to get real because they're starting to throw us in jail. You yeah. know they're starting to throw people in jail, keep them there for for you know I mean look at the J six guys, yeah. they've been there for years now. So, I mean, when are we going to get real, step up, and uh, and start throwing the communists in jail? You know, they, they go to these, you know, red states like Tennessee, and, uh, you know, they go protest and, and bring their guns and, and, you know, insinuate violence on us. When are we going to get serious about this? Yeah, that's a good you know, question. When are we going to step up and start, start getting rid of the communists? That's a good question. But, you know, in the United States, it's not illegal to be a communist. Yeah, I know. That's a problem. That's a <laughs> I, like problem. The, I like your attitude, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, mean, I know. I, wish me. I, I hate communists any more than the next guy, but I also believe in freedom of you know political associations. Because if we start throwing commies in prison for being commies, then don't we kind of become just as bad as, as those who we claim to oppose? No, not really. Not really, <laughs> because they're, they're dangerous. 
Yeah, they're true. trying to kill us. That's they're trying true. to get rid of us. They're trying to wipe out the American spirit. You know, and and that's 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 real talk, man. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah, that's true. Well, thank so, you so much you know, for your call. I appreciate your feedback on that, Rob. I do want to hear from Mike in New York. Mike, you've been waiting on the line for almost 50 minutes, man. Thank you so much for hanging in there. We've got five minutes left in this segment, so I want to try to take your call. Maybe one other. What's what's on your mind, Mike? Yeah, no problem. I got the day off today, so I'm just hanging out. Um, I just wanted to say um, to all my info warriors up in the Northeast, um, don't don't play into this and, and go go to New York or nothing. Um, mm. If you want to protest, there's plenty of great things to protest about. I encourage you to hit up uh, Tim Lassley on Twitter. He's mm. a He's like the greatest bullhorner other than Alex Jones. And, um, you know, there's plenty of things for us to be upset about. But I think this is also an opportunity, too, to um, kind of send a message to Trump. And, you know, he's calling for us to all get up in arms about him being attacked when, you know, we've been getting politically persecuted just as much, if not more, than him. So, and, you know, when it's convenient for him, he wants to say something about it. So we could send a little bit of a message. We support him and we think it's wrong, but. We can't just go uh, getting politically persecuted every time that he gets in trouble. Because hey, that's a good think, point. Uh, that that's a good point. And frankly, when I heard the news that he was being indicted, my first thought was, is there some place I can go to protest? And I think that Trump needs to just announce that the first thing he'll do if elected president of the United States is pardon all of the January six protesters. Why hasn't he just announced that? And I understand why he couldn't do it at the end of his last presidency because many of them were strategically not charged with anything until after January 20th so that he wouldn't be able to pardon them. Brandon Strzok is one of those examples of someone who was arrested on like the 23rd or something of January because they knew that if they made arrests before Trump was out of office, then there was a risk that he would pardon everyone. So I'm going to give him a little grace, a little benefit of the doubt on that. But why is it that he hasn't announced that he would just pardon all of them? Maybe he has and I just overlooked it. Do you know anything about that? I don't think I haven't heard him. I mean, I, he just started talking about him when he announced his 24 run. Right. I mean, right. It, it's taken that long. Right. You know, why why is it that he's fighting for the vaccine and bragging about the vaccine, but not fighting for the pardoning of these January 6 protesters, especially in the context of the story that broke last month or earlier this month about the shaman basically being framed and led around the Capitol um, on a, on what what looked like a tour. Yeah, and it was. Exactly. We got to remember that we are the movement. Donald mm. Trump is the movement. That's right. It, it's us. So That's right. We, what we say goes. So. Well, thank you so much for your call, man. I, anyway. I, I really do appreciate it. And I think that is a really astute point that you made about we being the movement versus Trump. And I, like I said, I endorse Trump. I'm going to vote for Trump in the primary. I'm going to vote for Trump in the general when he wins the primary. But that being said, one of my fears is that this populist movement and that's what the america first movement is it's called america first it's not called a populist movement but it is it's an american populist party and it's just republicans who are disenfranchised with the republican party signing up for this america first sort of movement and trying to make the republican party a populist party which may actually be strategically effective we'll see how it plays out but my fear about this movement is not any of the political ramifications should it come to power but my fear is that it is so intimately interwoven with Donald Trump that God forbid something were to happen to Donald Trump, like he retires or he doesn't get elected or he has a stroke or he gets assassinated, that the whole entire populist balloon would just deflate. And I really, really hope that we have actually established a shift in the politics of patriots 
that can ride the wave of populism beyond just the scope of this charismatic leader that we have at the forefront of it. And, you know, Steve Bannon has been touting populism and he's been singing the praises of Trump for years. And I totally agree with him, especially about just populism in general. And I just hope that we haven't, by tying populism so intimately in with Donald Trump, I hope that we haven't made those two ideals or those two ideas symbiotic in such a way that one can't survive without the other, that Trump can't survive without populism and that populism in America can't survive without Trump. I do want you to stay tuned because the next hour we have a great guest, Matthew Colkin. He's been on before. He's one of my favorite people to talk to, a really bright guy. And make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com during the break before we have the guest on in the next hour. I want to tell you a little bit about your favorite high-quality storable food, water, and air supplies, which are now back in stock at InfoWarsStore.com. We've been out of stock for far too long, and we know you have been asking for the storable food, water, and air filtration products, and they're finally here. There's food, water, and air are essential for our well-being. Make sure you're prepared for emergencies by stocking up on food and water supplies. You can stock up long-term or short-term with our various sizes of storable food options. I, for one, have actually taken up this offer. I have that very water filter. I have those uh, storable food buckets there. I think I bought a six-month supply, maybe just a three-month supply. I can't remember how much I bought, but I do take comfort knowing that no matter how much more expensive groceries become, I always have a supply of food in my home for my family. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the guest after this. It's the American Journal this morning. We got one more hour left of the show before the great Alex Jones is on. And we've got an awesome guest. We've had him on before. This is Matthew Culkin with us today of Culkin and Culkin, I believe is the name of your firm. Matthew, what's up, man? Good to be back. Always like to talk. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you. I encourage everyone to follow Matthew Culkin on Twitter at mculkin because his content is great. And incidentally, if we are in the age of man, I am the one true king. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so I know that this this indictment is under seal, but I still want to hear from you about what you think. Well, from what I've uh, seen on the Internet, uh, Matt Taibbi had an interesting take, and, mm. and that was that you had to squint really, really closely to be able to put any meat on this bone. And I agree with his analysis that realistically speaking, this is gonna set an incredibly dangerous precedent because uh, if if the new rules of the game are that we prosecute past presidents, well, I'd be very curious to know what the statute of limitation is for rape in the state of Arkansas. <laughs> that's, that's an outstanding point. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Not to mention the fact that all the crimes that we know that Joe Biden committed as a vice president because of this Hunter Biden laptop, which now is confirmed is real. And so what, what allegedly, is it, alleged, allegedly, allegedly, right. So, so what does it actually mean from a lawyer standpoint and pardon my ignorance on this, but just for me and the sake of the audience, what does it mean to have an indictment under seal? Why is it under seal? What does that mean? How does this play out? Well, this is a little bit outside of my area of expertise, sure. but uh, realistically speaking, um, I would assume that uh, the the reason for the steal is because of the inflammatory nature of uh, of the charges and the um, ability to potentially have in this country still the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. Right. So if they then release again, the details, I, I, do, I do. Yeah, I do U.S. immigration law. I don't do fed, I don't do state criminal law at all. So sure. I'm talking out of turn. 
Sure, I understand. And my understanding, too, and I, I could be wrong about this, but my understanding is that when there's a, a pardon for a federal crime, that crime can still be prosecuted at the state level. Is that true? Because it's not techni it's technically considered a different trial or a different crime? Yes. I mean, if basically, you have to look at separate statutes. You've got a federal statute, which has, uh, if you do a categorical analysis of that statute, there will be specific elements of that crime that can result in a, a prosecution and a state crime, which could be completely uh, separate from what the elements of that federal conviction are. So you can be charged with both a state crime and a federal crime, and this happens with some frequency. Right. I think we saw that with Steve Bannon. I could I could be uh, incorrect, but I understand that he was pardoned by Trump for the federal charges, but then the state was able to bring the charges for the same crime against Bannon. That's how they were able to sort of get around the pardon. Is that is that analysis for, right? Exactly. And and from my understanding, uh, the Department of Justice on a federal level, as well as the uh, the election uh, uh, commission, both took a look at what Trump had done with some scrutiny. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a fine tooth comb that went through all of the facts that have uh, resulted in this state charge, and they elected not to prosecute, which tells me uh, one thing without knowing anything about the details of the case, is that the federal government does not bring charges against individuals unless they are within as close to 100% certainty as they possibly can mm. uh, uh, be to secure a conviction. When they've, when the federal government brings charges against somebody, you're going to go to jail. With there's very few people that that are able to defeat those charges, and mm. and the penalties that attach to a federal charge generally are, are significant. And so an individual is uh, is incentivized to enter into a plea agreement to avoid a lengthy jail sentence and the uncertainty of um, of enhanced sentencing. Mm, very good points. We are going to go to break in about 12 seconds. So stick with us, folks, through the break. In the next segment, we'll be talking more with Matthew Culkin, all things indictment and recent news. And we're going to tap into the updates in the immigration world as well. Thank you so much. Stay with us. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. We are here with the great Matthew Culkin, talking about everything there is to talk about. Matthew, I want to hear from you a little bit about what the new updates are in the immigration world. I see your tweets constantly about people trying to flee Canada, worry they're going to go back to Canada. Obviously, you work with the Hispanic community as well. What is new in the realm of the Biden administration and what's happening with immigration here in the United States? Well, we have an uncontrolled border on the, on the south, mm -hmm. and uh, because of the reallocation of resources on the southern border, uh, the northern border is unfortunately open. Um, this is unprecedented. Uh, when Obama was president, he had a very strong focus on uh, maintaining our position as a sovereign nation and was very interested, despite the, the, all the criticisms from the right, in keeping people from being able to come to the United States illegally. One half of all federal criminal prosecutions under President Obama were for immigration-related crimes relating to attempting to come to the United States illegally. Um, Biden has uh, basically incentivized un un unlawful immigration, even though his deportation numbers on the border are high. Um, it doesn't reflect the fact that he has reallocated resources away from interior enforcement, number one. And number two, he has uh, created a program that has expanded to 60 courts in the United States 
which allow immigration judges on their own motion to unilaterally remove cases from the active docket, which basically means uh, that neither party has made a request for a uh, any type of uh, of, uh, of movement in their case from the court's scheduled docket of cases, and it's they're just being basically put in put on a shelf to be forgotten about. Wow. So. What you're suggesting here is that they're just kind of postponing deportation cases so that people can stay here indefinitely. Is that right? Indefinitely. Huh. That's interesting. So how's that been for your business, given the fact that you work to fight cases of deportation? Are you just frustrated that well, nobody's getting deported? Of, I don't do as much deportation work as I did under President Trump or Obama, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I, but I that being said, that being said, there are I'm one of the one of only two immigration lawyers in the United States that I'm aware of that are filing applications for asylum on behalf of unvaccinated Canadian citizens. Are they going um, through? Who are, well, I mean, it takes approximately four years to litigate a uh, an asylum claim. So these things are going to be in the pipe for a long time. Where do they, where does your client stay in the interim? So if they're, if they're seeking asylum, do they get to stay in the United States during that time? Yes, you're allowed to remain in the United States in a period of stay authorized by the Attorney General for the entirety of the uh, request for asylum. So you submit that application and you're permitted to remain here until there's finality and there's a number of steps that are required. There's an administrative de determination, which if, uh, if they don't grant, they refer to an immigration judge who schedules an individual hearing for the purpose of assessing uh, your claim for asylum. If you're unsuccessful there, you can uh, do an administrative appeal to the Board of Immigration Appeals. If you're unsuccessful there, you can uh, file an appeal to the federal courts and potentially all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. can so, take a decade. So is there an incentive to sort of make this process last as long as possible? Because effectively, your client has asylum while the case is pending, right? My incentive is to win. I like to win. And I like to save my clients money. Right. I don't like to lose at anything. I was a terrible loser when I was a kid. <laughs> you seem like the type. <laughs> you just throw fits. <laughs> oh, I broke so many controllers when I was a kid. <laughs> what, Nintendo 64? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, there was Atari and I think Bally that I played. I mean, I, I, I'm from, I'm a kid in the 70s. Oh. I'm the last, I'm the last great generation, Gen X. I played pinball. <laughs> <laughs> What's pinball? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's funny, man. So what do you think is next? I mean, do you think that this administration is just going to continue to drop the ball in terms of illegal immigration, let people flood in the border? And why are they doing it? Are they worried that there's not enough labor for undesirable jobs? So they're just sort of letting it happen? Or is it like a voter growth based kind of move? Yeah, I believe that they're, uh, they're appealing to the far left wing of their party. Mm. Immigration has always been, it's been, um, a cantankerous issue, obviously, sure. but there has been uniformity from both the left and the right that we are in, and you can go back and check the tape. You'll hear Clinton say it. You'll hear Obama say it numerous times in their States of the Union addresses that we are a nation of, of immigrants, but we are also a nation of laws. And the law is no longer respected in this country because Joe Biden has basically hung out, out a sign saying, if you get to the United States illegally, we're not going to deport you. Right. So they're just flooding over. And do you know the numbers? Mm -hmm. I, I hear mixed reports. How many people are actually coming into this country, either from the north or the south? I don't know the exact numbers, but I know we're facing uh, a backlog of over 2 million deportations now. Wow. That's just the people that have been caught. And uh, it's, I mean, 
I've heard that there's been over a million people that have entered the United States unlawfully since Biden took office, and that's what the only the numbers that we're aware of. I mean, it's that's like uh, one out of every 150 people in the United States is a backlog deportation case. I, I saw a statistic that said that there are more people that have come to the United States illegally since Joe Biden is, as uh, or there's more people in the United States illegally than there are people living in the city of Philadelphia. Wow, wow, that is just crazy. And you know, I have mixed feelings about immigration. I've been trying to figure out what my position is on this because I've been working on some things that I'm going to come out with later this year. And I'm a huge fan of of Milton Friedman, just as an economist. I think he's brilliant. I think his speeches were awesome. I think he was sort of a polite version of Ben Shapiro in terms of how he handled the Q and A's of college students in the '70s and the '80s. You know, he'd have the same response, but he was a little less, you know, pointed about it. And I don't know, he's just a classy guy. But his position on on immigration is counterintuitive to what you think it would be, because uh, you know he's associated with the right and free markets and capitalism. And he basically said, you know, we need to get back to a place where you can just come here and get citizenship. What are your thoughts on on that? Well, I worked on a guest worker um, program with 113th Congress, which basically would allow individuals um, to come to the United States very, very simply to work in specific industries okay. that Congress that Congress has designated as, as, as having a labor shortage. There's a verifiable labor shortage in, in industry X, Y, or Z. So we're gonna let people that can establish that they're qualified to be employed in, in industry X, Y, or Z to submit themselves to background checks, apply for a visa, and enter the United States with a type of status that specifically allows them to only work in those specific industries. So, I mean, if it's the farms, if it's right. we need, uh, I mean, good luck going to a restaurant these days. I mean, restaurants that used to be 24 hours a day, I mean, or or, or businesses that used to be 24 hour days, like, okay, I'm, I live on the Northern border, uh, right by Canada. And there's a, a coffee place called Tim Hortons, oh, right? Yeah. And, I've been the one. And, and Tim and Tim Hortons is notoriously open 24 hours a day. It, they throw out their food after a certain time because they can't staff the hours and they close the coffee shops. Mm. And it's the same thing in all the small bars and restaurants that uh, that can't get help. So. And part of the reason why is because why would you work when you're going to be able to get all of these benefits for not working or make more money from from not working? Yeah. The pandemic destroyed our economy. Yeah, it absolutely did. And it seems like it really increased the disparity between the wealthy and the poor in our country and drastically sort of attacked the middle class. So, it, you know, it almost seems to me, and I was talking about this earlier in the show today, that, you know, the political industrial complex, as I like to call it, because it's not just a military industrial complex. It's more complicated than that now that our government does everything everywhere, has really benefited from this pandemic and didn't really have an incentive to shut it down. I mean, the stock markets increased because they pumped money uh, artificially into the economy and into the banks. And so the wealthy got wealthy and then the poor got poor. And um, I don't know uh, what's going to happen um, uh, in the long term for this, but it doesn't really seem that the, in the interests of our leaders match the interests of their people. Well, I mean, one thing's for sure, if you're, if you have children, you have to tell them, go into, go into uh, government and be as far left as possible if you want to earn a living. <laughs> That's for sure. So we're going to go to break here in about 15 seconds. Make sure we stick 
here on the show. For the next segment, we're going to have more great topics to discuss with Matthew Culkin. And in the meantime, check out InfoWarsStore.com. We've got great deals on all sorts of things to prepare for the end of the world or just to put in the Easter basket for the end of the month. Stay tuned, folks. Welcome back to the American Journal. We've got pinball hero Matthew Culkin on the show today. A child of the 70s and an American hero of the 21st century. <laughs> it's an honor and a pleasure to have you with us. Let's talk about the Civil War this segment. We were talking a little bit during the break about this new state legislation that may shift the boundaries of a couple of states and how that might be the beginning of a civil war. Matthew, tell us what's going on with this Oregon-Idaho stuff. All right, so there basically are 11 counties in Eastern Oregon who have already voted to leave the state of Oregon and join Idaho. There's apparently uh, 15 rural Eastern Oregon counties um, that are, are at play. And there's another one that's going up in, uh, for approval in May and potentially what it could result in. And it's a very large percentage of the landmass of the mm. state of Oregon. Uh, and I have no idea whether or not this is something that's gonna be ultimately successful, but it'd be very interesting to see a redrawing of, uh, of, of, our, of our state boundaries, um, because this is realistically, we talk civil war and everyone, when they talk civil war, they talk the original civil war and being the, the bloodiest conflict in the history of our country. I don't foresee uh, a civil war being a uh, a conflict where arms are going to be taken up. I see it playing out just like this, where rural communities are going to finally say we've had enough of being ruled by our our uh, our urban overlords in the big cities, and they're going to pick up and leave the state and merge with other uh, rural states. Uh, rural portions of of blue states, and there's just going to be redrawing of the maps, and that's going to impact uh, electoral college votes. It's going to elect, uh, impact uh, the, the the makeup of the Congress, uh, et cetera. And it's just going to be very interesting to see what this country looks like from a state lines perspective in another 50 years. I don't think there's any chance our country survives absent a redrawing of the of the state boundaries. That's really fascinating. You know, I grew up in Illinois. And there was constant frustration in the rural communities of Illinois, of which I was a part, regarding Chicago's grip on the neck of the entire state. And it, you just basically, I mean, even if you look at how the gubernatorial races go in Illinois and you look at the counties, it's like every county's red, every county's red, except for maybe one or two in Cook County. And then the governor is still a Democrat nine times out of 10, it seems like. And so almost, was, every, almost every single blue state looks like basically a national map where if you were to take a look at the geography of the country or any in particular state, the cities are controlled blue and then mm -hmm. it's red. Right. Right. And so my question then is like in a state of Il like Illinois, my fear would be that if the rural communities of Illinois wanted to merge with one of the adjacent states, for example, because of their disenfranchised sentiments with Chicago, for example, and Chicago of course isn't the capital, but it practically speaking is the capital because it does run the state. Wouldn't there be a, a major effort among these corrupt counties to stop that from happening due to the fact that the state wants to maintain its hold on the state income taxes of the rural communities? Because these rural communities are composed of small towns, but that's a lot of state revenue that would just vanish. I am not an expert on this. Mm -hmm. However, from my, my, my Googling that I've done, 
my Wikipedia searches. Yeah. <laughs> um, each individual county, I think, has autonomy, and they would have the ability to uh, to to, to self-govern with regards to uh, how their um, how their their geography is listed. So I who I, I don't know whether or not I, I can't imagine that this is going to be an easy process. Uh, but I think that if the first domino falls, there's going to be a whole bunch to follow. I do believe that there's a rule in the Constitution, and correct me if I'm wrong, if, if you recall, that no state can be completely surrounded by another single state. So like one county in the middle, Illinois, couldn't just declare itself its own state. There's some sort of rule around that. But if you're adjacent yeah. to a border, you can merge, right? Yeah, I believe so. Fascinating. Wow. So. Mm -hmm. So how do you think this is going to play out over the next 50 years? I mean, do you think that we're going to start seeing this happen in all these states and it's just going to be just incredibly disruptive? Well, in in Alvin Bragg's uh, America, yeah. there are only blue states and red states. There are no United States. Uh, and the precedent that we've just seen with regards to the indictment of President Trump should concern everyone. It concerns people on the far left, obviously, um, who are although completely opposed to everything that Donald Trump stands for, both on a political um, perspective as well as uh, an emotional perspective. Uh, it just sets a dangerous precedent because it, as, once again, as Matt Taibbi had indicated on his uh, Twitter feed, it's going to incentivize presidents remaining in power for as long as possible because they can't be prosecuted while they're still in the Oval Office. Right. And I mean, it's that's that's when you have someone in power that doesn't want to leave. That's that's dangerous. Do you think this is going to push people to press against the two term limit in office and try yes. to change the Constitution to or set up some sort of an emergency situation in which they're allowed to stay in for an infinite number of terms? We're going to have Joe Biden 2034. Oh, you think he's going to live that long? Week, weekend at Biden's. <laughs> they're they're going to keep recharging the battery, man. <laughs> it's going to be a nice party and some really nice 80 garb to go with uh, to go with that that presidency. Yeah. Um, I I I don't know how you I don't know how you can objectively look at what's happening in this country and not be scared to death. Well, let me ask, let me put it to you this way. How would you feel if after Joe Biden's presidency is over, he was prosecuted for crimes associated with the Hunter Biden laptop? Would you feel like that was a dangerous precedent as this is? Well, um, it does scare me. Mm. I'll be honest with you. It scares me. I think that if you're going to be prosecuting somebody, it needs to be done. There can't be any appearance of impropriety or or the fact that it, it attaches to a political agenda because it undermines the sanctity of the courts. I mean, we need to have faith in our judicial system. And I'm not saying that if Donald Trump doesn't walk down uh, Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody that he shouldn't be prosecuted. Right. But, I still vote for him though, depending on who he shot. Would you? Well, yeah. I, at this point <laughs> I'm voting for anybody but a Democrat. Yeah, that's the truth. Anyone but a Democrat. I'm voting for literally anybody but a Democrat. Yeah, I'm never going to vote for a Democrat again. I tell people that uh, I'm not a Republican, but I'm sure as hell not a Democrat. Uh, and frankly, the Republican Party is too leftist for me at this point. But 
I don't know what other option there is other than Trump in 2024 because everyone else seems of the establishment. I, I'm interested in what your thoughts are on the Trump versus DeSantis conversation. We just got about a minute left. Same. Move, move to greater Idaho, my friend. <laughs> is that what you're going to do? Are you? Well, yeah, why are you still in New York? What the hell's wrong with you? I'm just trying to get out. I am trying to get out. I've got kids that I'm trying to get out of school and yeah. I'm trying to figure out my landing spot. Uh, Austin, Texas is too, uh, too blue for me, though. Sorry. Hey, man, I tell you what, I've lived in red areas of blue states and blue areas of red states, and I'd much rather be in a blue city in a red state than a red city in a blue state, because I, no matter how leftist Austin is, I'm still never going to have to pay state income tax. But stick with us, folks. After this break, we're going to be continuing the conversation with Matthew Culkin. And make sure you check out InfoWarsStore.com during the break and get some ashwagandha with black pepper for the Easter basket this year. It's got great benefits and stay tuned. Good loving, bad. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. It is an honor and a pleasure to have all of you distinguished listeners watching, tuning in. We're going to do one more segment with Matthew here. And then in the next segment, Matthew and I are both going to take your call. So make sure you call in 877-789-2539. That's 877-789-2539. And we're going to take questions from you in the next segment, but I want to fill up the queue here over the next eight minutes or so before we go into the next break. And then, of course, we will take your calls. Let's talk a little bit about Adam Kinzinger and how much money he's getting paid by CNN. I want to say something before I ask Matthew what he thinks about this. As he mentioned it to me, I didn't even realize that Adam was working for CNN now. But Kinzinger is from the district I grew up in in Illinois. And... I believe, if my memory serves, that my family actually donated to his campaign, knew his family, was very excited about having this, you know, new young Republican go in and shake things up in Congress. And now everybody that I know that ever supported him hates Adam Kinzinger. So what do you think about this new story with him on CNN? What's what's the scoop, Matthew? Well, I first of all, what are the odds that he was actually ever a Republican? I mean, was he just coming out of the closet and with regards to his democratic views? Um, there's no way that this guy didn't always, I mean, he, I think he did a classic Trump. He's really just a, a Chicago uh, uh, wannabe Democrat who saw that the best way for him to get into, into Congress was to pretend that he was a Republican, which yeah. is what Trump did. Yeah. I mean, Trump's a New York Democrat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you think Trump actually has democratic views, though? I, his views seem very apolitical in terms of a political party. Well, I think that uh, a lot of his views were uh, classically Democrat views mm. from the fifties and sixties. Sure, sure. I mean, I mean, that's when he grew up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, frankly, he was very lax on certain things like gay rights, for example. He always had sort of the same position. gun rights. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So how much, is CNN, bump stocks. how much is CNN paying Kinsinger? Kinsinger, do you know? $1 million. A year? I have no idea. Oh, man. But, well, that, <laughs> it makes you wonder because I, I was surprised that Kinsinger wasn't running again because these people are, are typically so egotistical that they can't fathom the notion that they, they won't win. And, of course, I don't think he would have won if he, if he ran again. And he must have known that. So he just leveraged this sort of anti-party behavior in order to line up a CNN position, huh? 
I, that's the that's the new business plan. You get in office as a Republican, and then you talk poorly about Republicans, and you get paid by legacy media. Yeah, it, it works. Yeah. How much longer do you think CNN's going to be able to afford to pay anybody though? <laughs> I think legacy media is in big, big trouble. Everyone, no one. I don't have cable anymore, you know, and I'm I'm old school. I I don't watch any of that those shows. I get my news from journalists that I trust and podcasters that I see uh, either on Twitter or um, just from following them um, through, I see them on on a Joe Rogan show or something along those lines. Right. And I, next thing you know, I'm following them. And that's where I get, that's how I consume my news. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, in the context of this Restrict Act, I'm not sure if you've been following any of that at all, but virtually all of the antagonism toward it has come from independent journalists and podcasters and we actually seem to be winning the narrative over the legacy media's sort of, you know, apathy toward the whole issue as a, as a whole. What are your thoughts on the Restrict Act? Do you think it's going to actually pass? Have you taken a look at it at all yet? I haven't looked at all of the details, but I have a, a close friend of mine uh, who is works for the federal government, uh, who is in, really was a also a former... Yep, uh, he's also a former ADA uh, in New York, uh, and he told me that the that this new provision makes the Patriot Act look like detention in grammar school. I mean, yeah. the uh, the the wide sweep it will change this country permanently. We will be communist China. That's not hyperbolic. Right. The fact that they even have the audacity to put forth some of these notions that are in the legislation is incredibly alarming. The fact that we even have people on the inside of either of these political staffs or the deep state who may inform the creation of uh, um, legislation like this is really disturbing because I think if you looked 50 years ago and anybody even mentioned anything like this, they would immediately be ostracized from any sort of political position or power forever in the United States. But today it's like, oh, you know, let's entertain this idea of finding people $250,000 for using a VPN. It, it, the, what we've seen in the last, I would say now it's six years, mm -hmm. um, with regards to the chilling of First Amendment protections um, through threats of violence, either through rioters, Antifa, et cetera, um, the, the castigation of people who aren't willing to bend the knee uh, the masking, both literally and figuratively, of parents uh, who uh, oppose the, the leftist agendas in our in our schools and the grooming of our children, um, and the prosecution, the political prosecutions of past presidents, as well as fomenting violence against members of the Supreme Court. Th this isn't the stuff that makes for a constitutional republic. It's it, we're seeing we're in flames this is it's burning and no ranging of to use another metaphor of the deck chairs on the titanic titanic is going to get uh is going to get jack onto that uh, that plank with uh, uh an out of the cold right right so let me ask you this this is one of, this is one of my pet peeves about the constitution and i understand why the founders left it intentionally ambiguous but basically stated it is the right of the people i think See, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are both where this is. I don't even know if this is written specifically in the Constitution, but the notion that it is the right of the people if the government fails to fulfill its duties and violates the rights of the people, it is the right of the people then to, you know, overthrow that government and replace it. 
but none of the specifics are listed, right? Like when, what actually has to happen before you cross that threshold? And I think we're just supposed to kind of play it by ear and determine that on our own or like, you'll know, is kind of like what they thought. But I wish that there were specifics because I'm always wondering like, okay, at what point would I become a violent person, right? And I'm not somebody who advocates for violent or violent revolution. That's not what we do on the show. It's not what I do on the internet. Even if I felt that way, I wouldn't say it like this because, you know, then I would be violating the Insurrection Act and I get locked up and not be able to see my family. But at what point is it right to take up arms against your own government? Like, do you have in your mind a threshold? Is it 30% unemployment? Is it, is it they're knocking on my door to seize my guns? When, when is it appropriate? Well, I'll, there was a, a Supreme Court case with regards to uh, pornography and it, there was, where it was famously no, said, I, I can't define pornography, but I sure know what it looks like when I see it. Right. And, and I think that's the definition of, uh, and I would never advocate taking up arms to overthrow the, the United States government. Yeah, Not even if they were rounding up all the Jews and sending them to death camps? Um, I think that that's pornography right there. I think that's the definition <laughs> right, of pornography. Right. I, you know, you know it when you see it. Right. But by then it's too late. Like something should have no, been done before then, right? It's not. No, no, it's not. It's not too late. There's a lot of people with guns in this in this country by design. Um, there was a uh, what I I'm very excited actually that some of these cases that of the the, the left wing overreach uh, in in my state in California, uh, Massachusetts, etc. Uh, because a lot of these cases are going to are going to get up to the Supreme Court in probably the next couple of years, uh, with regards to our Second Amendment rights right. and the fortification thereof. And um, they're going to, the left is going to be, uh, they're going to, there's going to be a rude, a rude awakening because there was a case back in the, oh, I'm running out of, we're running out of time. But That's the, okay. the reality of we'll, this, we'll, we'll finish it up, we'll pick it up. There's, there's good case law already in, in existence that fortifies our Second Amendment rights. Absolutely. Make sure you guys call in 877-789-2539. We will be taking your calls in the next segment with this awesome guest, Matthew Culkin. Make sure you visit InfoWarsTheStore.com and get yourself something special. Welcome back to the American Journal. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host today, Chase Geyser, filling in for the great Harrison Smith, who will be back next week as soon as he beats the pink eye, which I think he gave my daughter, by the way. we got the great Matthew Culkin on air with us right now. We will be taking calls this segment. We've got some in the queue that we're going to take. Call in 877-789-2539 if you want to be added to the list, and we'll try to get to your call as quickly as possible. Before we take the first call, Matthew, you mentioned a specific case that we were about ready to get to at the end of the last segment. What's going on? Not sure if you can hear me, Matthew. Are you? Well, we're having a little bit of a hard time getting connected with Matthew right now. So what I'm going to do is take a call and then hopefully we can get him back situated with us and have him on air with us. So let's take Hobbs in Nebraska. Hobbs, what is on your mind? Can you hear me? Hey, how's it going, Chase? Good morning. Good morning. What's up, man? Hey, it's your boy Hobbs from Nebraska with the Roads to Liberty podcast. I just wanted to give a quick gun rights update here in Nebraska. LB-77, which is Nebraska's constitutional carry bill. Well, uh -huh. Last time I talked to Harrison, I called in 
and talk to him about that. Uh, I was hoping he would be hosting today. I know he's a huge Futurama fan, and I wanted to say, Good news, everyone! Because <laughs> LB... LB77 passed the second round of debates day before yesterday. It passed uh, 35 to 10, and it's moving on to the third round. And once it passes the third round, it will go to the governor's desk for signing. So Nebraska is on the edge of having constitutional carry. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate that, Hobbs. I'm going to see if we can bounce back to Matthew. Matthew, have we got you reconnected to the call, man? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep, you sound great. So what was that case that you were going to get to at the end of the last segment? It's U.S. v. Miller. It's a case from 39. It deals with uh, a guy was prosecuted for having a, a sawed-off shotgun. Oh, okay. And he, he it makes it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, he's unrepresented. He dies. Um, and in any event, they they rule that it's, it's constitutional to be able to ban um, uh, sawed-off shotguns. But what they, the decision, even though it was somewhat anti-Second Amendment, it actually lays out the entire case for why semi-automatic rifles with detachable magazines are specifically protected by the Second Amendment. And they basically said that uh, they go through the whole history and traditions of the United States, which is and with regards to the militia system, and that is that the citizens of this country were expected to own their own weapons so that when called to service in a militia, they had their own firearm, they had their own ammunition, they had all the uh, the necessary equipment and training to be able to get right in uh, the front lines to be able to defend our country. And that any weapon that uh, would ordinarily be carried by an infantryman in a theater of war is specifically protected by the Second Amendment. So um, if U.S. v. Miller, if the, if the, the meat of U.S. v. Miller gets revisited, uh, we're going to have, I think that there's going to be an expansion of our rights because we for, forget about whether or not semi-automatic rifles are constitutionally protected class of firearm. Fully automatic rifles should be uh, legal without a tax stamp in this country. Uh, Americans have that right. That's what it, the Second Amendment was designed for. It wasn't designed for, uh, for hunting and, and targeting. And and it was basically specifically designed to allow individuals to be soldiers. Mm, absolutely. I want to take a call from Christopher in British Columbia, given that we have an immigration lawyer here. Maybe we can get you asylum. What's on your mind, Christopher? Um, I'm dealing with up here in Canada, oh. uh, where I had to sign a petition for our opposition leader because our Ch Chicom handpicked prime minister has basically shut down any debate on our internet censorship bill. Mm. Tell me a little bit about right the internet now, censorship bill that's going on in Canada. Up here in Canada, where our freedoms are being taken away, where yeah. he's going after innocent people and taking money away from them, and then virtual signaling. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I his speech where he's like, he's like, States. let let me be clear. In Canada, you can no longer purchase a handgun or sell a handgun. Can you do Can you do that in blackface for me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd love to. He's got black face, brown face, and any other face except the face of the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right, man. Well, I'm sorry that you're going through that. I hope that they're able to get um, uh, a Trudeau out of office there in Canada. And if you guys ever do actually have a revolution in Canada, don't worry. I will much more quickly join the Canadian Legionnaires than the Ukrainian Legionnaires. I want to hear from Joe in New York. Joe, what's going on, man? How you doing, man? What's going on, fellas? Good. Yeah, I was... 
I was listening to a Reese report, and they mentioned something about, you know, the sheriff. The sheriff um, and so I decided to call my sheriff. And in the mission statement of his website, nowhere does it say that he will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. So I, so I decided to make a call. I pick up the phone. I call the people. I get an attitude and hung up on Wow. What do you think about that, Colkin? I mean, that's pretty, I, I've never, I've only been in New York City one time, but that's very New York. I'm, I'm calling the sheriff because he doesn't have anything about the Constitution in his gosh dang mission statement. What do you think about that, Colkin? Well, we saw exactly what law enforcement is willing to do uh, when our constitutional rights are being bridged. I mean, we were, we were shut down, locked out, and masked up. And uh, anyone that, uh, and, and unless you were protesting, uh, uh, for Black Lives, uh, you were told to stay in your homes and uh, and have your your property and your businesses taken from you without due process. And and the sheriffs in this state, um, they complied with the mandates of the governor. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly in Arizona, I want to hear from you because you have some thoughts on the Greater Idaho movement. And then after this call. I want to uh, make sure that Matthew has a, the opportunity to plug where people can follow him. Kelly, what are your thoughts on the Greater Idaho Movement? Well, the Greater Idaho Movement has been around for decades. Mm -hmm. I uh, was born and raised in North Idaho. And uh, actually, it was supposed to be uh, counties in Oregon, and Washington State, and Montana. And North Idaho was going to be one state. Um, because North Idaho absolutely does not like Southern Idaho. They have been gypped uh, every year by their state congressmen that uh, they give all the money to the big city people and everything. Uh, North Idaho is a mining community mm. and uh, a forestry uh, industry, and they get absolutely nothing no support from their state government whatsoever. So in order for the Oregon County um, succession to happen, uh, North Idaho would also have to secede from Southern Idaho. Uh, absolutely. Because Southern Idaho is so blue, it's not even funny. Interesting. Thank you for that call, Kelly. What are your thoughts on that, Coco? I mean, this is just, just what we were talking about with these disenfranchised working-class American communities constantly being exploited by the sort of political class, whether it's at the state level or the federal level? I guess I, I need to save my uh, my pennies to build a, a bunker in, in New Zealand with all the other uh, tech billionaires. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, New Zealand and Australia, I know they're two different nations. I always think of them as the same thing. But they didn't handle the pandemic that well. There were some major restrictions in New Zealand, I believe, during the pandemic as well. well yeah, it doesn't make a difference if you own a bunker. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so where can people find you and follow you and engage with you, Matthew? Uh, go to Twitter. I'm at, at mkolken, M-K-O-L-K-E-N. Awesome. That's the best place to, to reach Matthew. Matthew, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show today. And we've just got about 90 seconds left. So are there any final thoughts that you would like to share with the audience before we go to the great Alex Jones show in the next hour. Yeah, Alex, if you're listening, get Chase on Joe Rogan's show. That's what, <laughs> I, that's what I t I'm telling you. That's my message. Huh. 
just send me the invoice too. I'll pay you what we agreed upon to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, before we go to the next break, I do want to plug the ashwagandha with black pepper. Introducing ashwagandha with black pepper by InfoWars MD. This high quality product has been developed with nutrients for enhanced brain function. Our formula can help support mental clarity and increased feelings of well-being. Ashwagandha is an herb that has been used for centuries in traditional Ayurvedic medicine. It is believed to have several health benefits, including reducing stress and anxiety, improving cognitive function, and boosting immune system function. Adding black pepper to ashwagandha may enhance its absorption and effectiveness in the body. Black pepper contains a compound called piperine, which has been shown to increase the bioavailability of certain compounds, including ashwagandha. Try out ashwagandha with black pepper and check out the other high-quality products by InfoWars MD today. And don't forget about the ashwagandha gummy. InfoWars MD ashwagandha gummy contains vitamin D2 and zinc. This formula may help reduce stress and help support calmness. Check it out at InfoWarsStore.com. And thank you so much for being with me today and the last couple of days. And don't forget to tune in next week with Harrison Smith back on The American Journal. The fight against the New World Order is now the top story in the world. The globalists are in deep trouble, but they're striking back with all their deep state operatives to shut down InfoWars and other truth tellers like James O'Keefe, Tucker Carlson, and countless others. So please pray for us now more than ever. Spread the word about the broadcast and get great products to keep us on air and fund our operation while at the same time enriching your life. Now, we've got three new products available at InfoWarsStore.com and a bestseller back in stock. We have the amazing Dr. Jones Naturals turmeric toothpaste and so much more. Find out more at InfoWarsStore.com. We have the ashwagandha root pills with black powder extract to accelerate your libido, stamina, testosterone. And we have pure ashwagandha gummies at InfoWarsStore.com as well. These are all the highest quality products. The prebiotic is now finally back in stock. They're all there at InfoWarsStore.com. So please take action now. Enrich your life, empower your body, and keep us on air. Please take action now. InfoWarsStore.com.